Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Time to fellowship again. Uh, and it's so exciting to be uh, with, the, with the children of uh, God around the world, those who are joining us today. We're, we're grateful for all of our partners in the ministry. Uh, it was so exciting being with uh, uh, the church family on yesterday to celebrate uh, uh, graduations. And we are so excited also that God has blessed us with a 10-acre uh, property. And today is going to be the first day that uh, we'll be giving tours. So if you're scheduled for a tour today, please get there. Uh, in a punctual manner uh, so that um, you can have adequate time to see how God has blessed. We're also excited about the fact that people are listening uh, from different places in the country and even around the world. And we invite you to be participants in helping us to realize the vision as we enter into phase one of uh, the building program that's going to be that has already started. So if you'd like to be a part of that, feel free to contribute. Uh, go to our website and uh, you will find instructions there and also the instructions that were given by my lovely wife. Uh, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you today. We are so grateful that you hear us when we call on that name that is above every name. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so God, we ask that you would speak to us today. Minister to our spirit as only you can. God, we need to hear from you. And when we have heard from you, we will not be the same. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Our passage today is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 11. And I'm just going to read verse 5. Uh, as we begin today, for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue or goodness to virtue, add knowledge, add knowledge. I think most of us uh, would agree uh, that the greatest professional basketball player, at least that has played during my lifetime, is Michael Jordan. I don't always feel like that, but the truth is, uh, Michael Jordan uh, accomplished incredible feats uh, during his career as a basketball player. And even as a, a business person, he is uh, a billionaire because of his uh, many accomplishments on the court. Uh, now, Michael Jordan wasn't always the MJ that he ultimately became. In fact, in 1978, Michael Jordan was still in high school, was a sophomore, and he decided as a sophomore, which was very unusual during that time, to try out for the varsity basketball team. And uh, on the night before the final decisions uh, as to who would make the team, Mike and one of his best friends were very anxious to see if they would would be uh, one of the two who were chosen for the last spot. And the next day, Michael Jordan noticed two things when he looked at the final cut. Uh, one, his name wasn't on the list. He didn't make the team. And the second thing that he noticed was that his best friend, his six foot seven friend, who was also a sophomore, his name was on the list. When Michael Jordan arrived at home, he was so discouraged uh, that he just cried the entire night. And his mother, the story goes, that uh, when she approached him about why he was crying, he informed her that he didn't make the team. He'd never play basketball again. It was unfair. How could he, his best friend make it? And he didn't make it. And, and so he was giving up on basketball. And his mother replied uh, to Mike, Michael Jordan, who was at that time five foot ten, and as I've already said, his best friend was a six foot seven. His coach thought the way to win is through size. You can't teach size, so he picked the six foot seven uh, player by leaving, but while at the same time leaving Jordan off. And so his mother said, "If Mike, 
If you want to make the varsity team, you have to grow your game. You have to get better. And so rather than walk away and rob us of the experience of the, the majestic skills that he displayed throughout his basketball career, Michael Jordan went to work. Uh, for that entire uh, summer, he worked tirelessly at night. Anytime he could uh, practice and shoot a ball, he did everything he could to grow his game. And that next year when he tried out, uh, it didn't hurt that he grew four inches, but he made the varsity team. But it didn't happen without him growing his game. I want you to know that just like Michael Jordan had to put effort into growing his basketball game to maximize his potential, if we're ever going to become what the Lord wants the church to be, you need to grow up. You need to grow your spiritual game. You need to make a commitment that your priority is going to be doing everything within your power, as we're going to see, to become all that the Lord has already equipped it, us to be. Now, in 2 Peter, as we turn our attention to the scriptures today, the Apostle Peter, one of the original 12 disciples of Christ, is spending his final days uh, in a Roman dungeon preparing for execution. Uh, he is preparing to die. And he knows that his time is not long. And so he writes this letter to the scattered church that is under persecution. This is the second of two books that he wrote. The first book uh, warns the church of danger that is going to come from the outside. He says, be on alert that you're going to suffer. You're going to be uh, tested through fiery trials because of external attacks. The warning that he gives in chapter in the second book of Peter is far grave, more grave, more dangerous, more serious. Because this attack is not going to come externally through persecution. This attack on the church will be birthed from inside of the church. Satan changes his strategy by basically saying, if you can't beat them from the outside, let's join them from the inside. And so the, the purpose of 2 Peter is to prepare the church to fight error with truth, to fight error with truth. And Peter is saying, I want to prepare you for what is about to occur. In fact, it was already happening. In chapter two, he says that you are going to need to be prepared to denounce false teachers that will infiltrate the church. So chapter two deals with the false teachers that are going to come. And then in chapter three of second Peter, he says, you need to be able to deal with those and the circumstances that are going to accompany the, the day of the Lord, the last days. And so he says, you need to prepare for the end times, chapter three, and then chapter two, prepare for false teachers. Now, the way to prepare for these attacks that are going to come internally upon the church, he says, you need to grow spiritually. The best way to handle what we're going through right now is that the church would be spiritually mature enough that even though we're going through a pandemic, we would have had enough spiritual resources in reserve that we would have been able to respond to what God already said would be characteristics of the last days. And so what we need to do to become those who are going to be able to handle 
these times that we live in, we need to grow spiritually. Now, we understand the importance of uh, accelerate, excelling in our careers. We know uh, about the necess necessity of education. Uh, we all understand that we're facing in this country probably uh, the worst recession that has ever um, been experienced in America. So we focus on let's grow our finances. Let's save our money. Let's go to college. Let's do everything that we can do to climb the corporate ladder. But we don't put that same type of importance or priority on growing spiritually. And the truth is, when we first, when we put the kingdom of God first and make growing spiritually the priority, God says all of these things I'll add, I'll add. And so we want to talk about why we need to grow spiritually, why we need to grow spiritually. Um, again, as I've already mentioned, the times that we're living in. And basically, I want to share two things, first of all, about why, why you need to grow spiritually. First of all, we need to grow spiritually because we can. You can. You can. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible college. Uh, you don't have to be uh, three times seven. If you, if, you, if you are a believer, you can grow spiritually. And I want to sh just read uh, first verses one through four. Uh, uh, Peter speaking to the church that has been scattered because of external persecution. He says, Simon Peter, a servant of the, the apostle, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of God and, the, and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who caused us by his own glorious goodness, by his own glory and goodness, through these, we have given, he has given us the very, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And I want to just share two things that he says about why we need to grow. The first reason that I've already kind of alluded to, you can grow. You can grow. The reason we can grow is because salvation makes it possible. Peter speaking to uh, the scattered church has something he said, you have already obtained a like faith, a like faith, a faith equal in value and quality that makes us a member of the same body of Christ that Peter was a part of. He says, the faith that you have received, the relationship that you have as a result of placing your trust in Christ is equal in quality to the same that the apostles experienced. And because you're saved, you have been born from above. The Bible says, as many as received Christ, to them he gives the right to become the sons and the daughters of God. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so we have eternal life. The fact that I'm saved, I can grow. Salvation makes growth possible. But sanctification also makes growth possible. The word sanctification is not just meant for people that have long dresses and don't wear lipstick or earrings or worship on a certain day other than Sunday. Sanctification simply means set apart ones. And so what the Apostle Paul says, you have received all that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that I need to live a life that is pleasing to God because I have been set apart through sanctification, I can grow. I have all that pertains that is necessary for me to live a godly life. So sanctification makes it possible. I can live a set apart life. I don't have to live a life that is dominated by sin because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that sets me apart and enables me to trust the Lord. Now the Lord doesn't give his spirit in measure. He doesn't give his spirit in increments. So everything that you needed 
to become all that God is requiring of us, you received it the moment you said yes to the finished work of Jesus. And you became, as the scripture refers to all believers as saints, that is set apart, hagias, holy ones of God. And so sanctification makes it possible for me to grow spiritually. Revelation, the word of God, makes it possible for me to grow spiritually. He says we have received great and precious promises. God has given us a blueprint, a, a roadmap, a compass. His word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. He says, I will instruct you and guide you in the way that you should go. The scripture tells us to study, to show ourselves approved that we would be workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly cutting straight the word of God or the word of truth. And so the revelation that is recorded in God's word enables me to grow spiritually. As scripture actually says, desire, desire the sincere milk of the word, crave for the milk of the word, the scriptures, that you may grow thereby. And so through the word, this revelation that I've received, as a person who has experienced sanctification, being set apart because of salvation, trusting Christ makes it possible for me to grow and to become all that God wants me to be in my spiritual walk with him. Here's a fourth reason why we can grow spiritually. Participation makes it possible. Particip participation makes it possible. The scripture says, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by, the, by evil desires. I can participate in those things that are pleasing to God because I have the DNA, the spirit of God is dwelling in me. The scripture says we have his divine nature. We have the likeness of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Scripture actually puts it like this way. You are the temple of God and his spirit dwells in you. And so since God is residing in me, I have the capability of being like him and I can participate in the things that align me to the ways, the word, and the will of God. And so I can, I can grow because of sanctification, salvation, revelation, and participation through God's divine nature. Think about that. God's nature resides in you. Just like you have your parents' DNA, you have the divine DNA of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is living in you. You have the ability to grow. You have the ability to grow. I wondered as a young Christian, I, I, I thought that once you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you were going to be, you're going to be perfect. You never have any uh, sinful desires. You never be tempted. You never say a cuss word again. And I just struggled with it. And I thought maybe there was something I was lacking. And so as I've shared before, I tried all kinds of things to, to, to have this feeling and uh, uh, assurance of my salvation and I've been slain in the spirit and spoken tongues, jumped over pews, laid on the floor for hours and, and got right up off the floor and went out of the church door and did the same thing that I had asked God to deliver me from. And I, 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 what I didn't understand is that what I needed, I already had. I was searching for what I already had. I had the DNA, the nature of God living in me. I had the spirit of God who had operated in the ministry of setting me apart in such a way that I could obey him. I had salvation through Christ. And so it's not based on a feeling or an experience. It's based on our position in Christ that I'm able to grow spiritually. So that's the first thing. We can grow spiritually. We can. But there's a second thing, a reason why we can grow spiritually. Because it's a command. Not only is it something that we can do, but it is a command. In verse 5, the scripture says, make every effort. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, make every effort 
to add to your faith. Underline those words. Make every effort to add to your faith. Peter is talking to people that are already saved, that they had. You can't add something to what you don't already have. And so he says, you, what you have through salvation is a faith that is equal in quality with the faith that Peter and the apostles experienced. And now he says, add to that foundation. Now that's not an option. That's not a request. That's not, let's sit down and have a conference. This is a command. We're commanded in the word of God to add to our faith. And then he gives a list of seven things that are necessary for us to grow spiritually. Add to your faith. Now, the interesting thing is when you grow spiritually, verses eight and nine in the same chapter, God promises, he guarantees that you will be blessed. No exceptions. When you grow spiritually, you can expect a harvest of divine blessing. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. And so that abundant life is what we experience when we are growing spiritually. So he said, add to your faith. Make every effort. So the first part of that, which says make every effort to, to, to add to your faith, make every effort. That part says, it means give all diligence. Eagerly pursue. Try your hardest with every ounce of strength and determination and focus that you have. Prioritize growing spiritually. Make that your priority. And this is not based on how you feel. This is based on a, a, a decision to obey a command. Make every effort. Be diligent to pursue your spiritual walk with the Lord. Make every effort. And this is something that often throws us off. We're waiting to feel like it. We're waiting for uh, the Red Sea to part. Oh, God, if you would just reveal yourself in the, it, 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 turn the moon into blood. And, 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 and Lord, I, I, all I need is some, if we just had the praise and worship team, I, I, I could feel some. This is not based on how you feel. As the scripture says, the heart is deceitful. Your emotions, the seed of your emotions is unreliable, is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we're not trying to make a commitment to growing spiritually dependent upon our emotions. This is a command that must be obeyed by the by an act of the will. Make every effort. Make every effort. To add to your faith. That means increase in abundance. Supplement. Just like you take vitamins and, and, and vitamin D. And a lot of people are taking hydrating with other types of supplements uh, to avoid uh, getting COVID-19. He's saying supplement your faith. For spiritual growth lavishly and be, we need to become extravagant in our efforts to to grow spiritually it, it means to eat from the spiritual buffet line you know how we used to go to the, we used to go to a place called old country buffet and when we went we went in spandex we didn't go in no sunday suits and we went with the, we want to be comfortable eating everything that we shouldn't have been eating for as long as we could eat it and so there are no restrictions when he talks about growing spiritually. He says, he said, get your spiritual grub on. Increase. Be extravagant. Be lavish. Don't hold back whatever you can do to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Go for it. That is what the command is. That is what the command is. And unfortunately, uh, our priorities are often on temporal things. But what we discover when we are quarantined and the Lord has put us in a position where we have to be thinking about spiritual things, that all the stuff that we thought that mattered, the things that we felt that would really sustain us, that were always accessible to us, when they aren't, it pushes us in the position where now we've got to look up. And we, we come to understand that there's something bigger than the government. There's something bigger than science. There's something bigger than my, my physical uh, workout plan. There's something bigger than my job. There's something bigger than I. It's the Lord's requirement of us to make every effort to grow spiritually. To make every effort to grow spiritually. Uh, when face masks, uh, originally they were talking about it, 
uh, during this uh, the coronavirus, and it was an option. You can wear one uh, to protect people who from catching something from you or you catching something from them. It was option, optional. So uh, a lot of people didn't wear face masks. And then the governor moved away from just this being optional to if you go into a public establishment, it's required. You have to wear a, a mask. If you don't, you aren't allowed in. So just like the, the, the possibility of uh, the, the option that we have because of the presence of the Lord in our life, I can grow spiritually. That is a choice I can make. It changes when the Lord moves from a can do to you must do. It's a command. And just like there's a consequence for not wearing a face mask, there's a consequence for not pri prioritizing growing spiritually. There is a consequence. We've got a, a bunch of spiritual, spiritually immature people in the church that are doing the cause of Christ much harm. Paul talks about this type of Christian in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, I could not speak to you as spiritual. He says, but by now I should. But he said, you're carnal, you're fleshly, you're worldly in how you think, you're worldly in how you act. And it's interesting, I read a statistic somewhere where it says that uh, people that profess to be Christians, only 10% indicated that they are seriously committed to following Christ. 30% says that they're superficially involved with religious activities associated with Christianity. And then the remaining 60% said they're nominally involved. They come to church on Sunday, they come to church on special days, etc. But there's just a remnant of folks in the church today that are genuinely serious about experiencing spiritual growth. The problem is, the Bible says, because of carnality, there's division in the church, there's competition in the church, uh, there is, there's, there's fighting in the church, and when the church is distracted because of immaturity of, of, the, of, of its congregants, the mission of the church goes unfulfilled. We're not going to be able to make disciples for Christ. We're not going to see the power of God to turn the world upside down. When we're too busy playing in our, pay, our spiritual playpens. I used to think that all that was involved with becoming a Christian is you join the church. And then after you've been at the church for a while, you become a part of the choir. You become an usher. Or you might be a deacon if you can sing real good. And if you're real loud and sing real good, you can become a preacher. And that was the extent of what I thought being a Christian was. And then I came to learn this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, add to your faith. Make every effort. Be diligent. Let this be a matter of spiritual life or death in terms of your health. When you are not growing spiritually, it's like walking around in the world as a Christian with someone's hands on your throat. It literally chokes the life of what Jesus said. I have come to give you life. But if you're not growing... And growing has nothing to do with your, your credentials, how long you've been in the church and, and, and how many ministries you're a part of. And you may be of the past of the church and the most immature, in, uh, under, underdeveloped person in the congregation. Spiritual growth is not based on chronological age or credentials or status in the church. It's based on a deliberate decision to increase to become extravagant, to develop a strategy where you are going to grow in these seven areas that I'm going to share with you. If you commit to these seven areas, everybody want this magical, uh, man, I just want to grow spiritually. I'm so tired of struggling. I'm so tired of failing. Maybe if I read the pastor's Bible, maybe if I sit on the first pew, if I, if, if I, if I, if I fast and pray and and, and, and no, it's, there's nothing spooky or mystical. There is a way that you can develop seven habits that will make you an effective Christian, an impactful Christian. And the Apostle Peter provides those for those who are now going to be dealing with pandemics, those who are going to be dealing with pestilence, those who are going to be dealing with 
false doctrine and false prophets in the church. He says, grow spiritually. And here's how you do it. So the first thing he says in verse five, he says, add to your faith virtue. That's the first important pillar to add to your faith. Now, let me, I want, I want to be very careful here. These are not steps that occur chronologically. First it's virtue, then it's knowledge. Then, no, no. These are occurring simultaneously. They're happening at the same time. And sometimes the emphasis may be on one more than the other. And so this is not a stair-step approach to spiritual maturity. This is simply characteristics or quality, qualities that we need to intentionally have developed in our life. And so the first one says, eagerly add to your faith virtue. And that rendering in the that's the rendering in the in the in the King James Version, virtue. The word is virtue. It is also translated in the New American Standard Bible, uh, goodness, goodness, and and or moral excellence. Moral excellence. This excellence is is what results from someone fulfilling his or her purpose by doing what is good, doing what is good for the right reason. Doing what is good. Add to your faith a commitment to doing what is good, what is morally excellent for the right reason. And it starts with, we talked about reputations, what people think you are, characters, who we really are. Characters is, is, is really the person that we are when no one is looking. And so when he talks about moral excellence and virtue, he's saying from your personal integrity in your private walk when you make decisions to do whatever it is you are directed by the spirit of God to do be certain that that good action is the result of the right motive you can do the right thing for the wrong reason In Matthew chapter 6 it talks about those who were praying to be seen or to be heard praying out in public so that people can notice them and, and pat them on the back for how eloquent they were in their prayers. He talks about uh, when the people gave, they gave so that people would know how much they offered to in, in the church offering. Then he, he says that even in a, a holy act such as fasting, that there were people who wouldn't wash their face or brush their teeth or comb their hair. And so somebody would have to ask, what, what's wrong? Why are you sick? Is something uh, 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 wrong? And, and they would say, oh, no, I'm fasting. And so you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. So moral excellence is a commitment to doing the right thing, doing good things for the right reason. It's doing good things from a heart that is that has been transformed into the image of the Lord, that you, you have the character of Christ that is motivating you to do whatever you're doing publicly. And so moral excellence has to do with, with actions, with actions. The scripture actually says this in, in Ephesians chapter one, verse chapter one, verse uh, chapter two, verse 10 it says, God saved us for the purpose of doing good works. And so we want to do that which is good for the right reason. I remember uh, how proud I used to be. I, I always give up my seat when I'd be coming home from football practice. Crowded buses in Philadelphia, and and I feel I have my football, my helmet, my shoulder pads, my school bags, and I still I give up my seat. And and all of the ladies and everyone said, "Your parents must have raised you well." And man, what a what a, a, a outstanding young man! And I wish my son. And man, I'm just basking in all of the praise and the recognition for this good thing that I'd done. And then one day I got up and I had all of my equipment and tired at the end of a long day and, and the football practice. And the woman sat down. She didn't say nothing. She said nothing. She just looked out the window and started eating peanuts. And I'm like, hold it. I'm thinking, I didn't say this, but I'm like, wait a minute. Where's my praise? Where's my recognition? I did something good. And so I stood that entire ride steaming. Man, I could be sitting down. I'm tired. I was on the football field. And then when I got home, the Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, why did you offer that woman your seat? The reason I offered her the seat is because I wanted the recognition, the praise. So I had done something good, but it was for the wrong reason. Moral excellence 
is motivated to do what is right for the right reason. We need to grow because it is human nature to seek praise. It's human nature to esteem our own interests above others. It's human nature to want to be recognized, to be at the front of the line, to be on the on the program and have our name and no, no, no. What, the, what moral excellence says, that I'm going to develop the habit of doing things that are good for the right reason, and that is always to honor God. So here's, the, here's how you develop that, that characteristic. Ask yourself before you do whatever it is you do. Even if someone says, you can really serve this ministry, you're going to be very effective. You need to be asking yourself, Lord, is this what you want me to do? If no one ever pats me on the back, if no one ever acknowledges me, if I never get a thank you, are you willing to continue to do what is good for the right reason? If you do, then you're honoring God. And because it's not natural to be like that, you need to intentionally on a daily basis as you are even operating in the context of your work, in your marriage, in your relationship with your children. Uh, is, why am I doing this? Is this doing right? Is this doing good for the right reason that honors God out of a out of a heart of integrity, out of a heart that is pure towards God? You need to be adding that. Are you working on that on a daily basis? He said also, add knowledge, add knowledge. Now, the knowledge that he's talking about is not gnosis. This is epigenosis. This is experiential knowledge. The problem in the church is not that we lack knowledge. Even though the scripture says my people perish for the lack of knowledge. Now, there's accurate knowledge and there's inaccurate knowledge. So we got knowledge. Sometimes it's not accurate. The issue for us is that we are educated beyond our obedience. We know what to do. We're like James, uh, what he says in James chapter 1, verse 20. We are hearers of the word. We can quote the scriptures, but we don't do what the scriptures say. And so what we need to be adding to our existing faith through salvation, sanctification, revelation, and participation with the DNA of God, we need to be adding the ability to understand and discern good from evil as we are renewed in our mind through the word of God. So, so adding knowledge means that my thoughts are being transformed by the word of God in such a way that I can discern good from evil, that I can make the best decisions on a daily basis because my inf I'm informed by the word of God in such a way that I'm, I'm applying the word of God in whatever situation I find myself in. And so it's a practical application of the word of God. The, the scripture says in, in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. We need to learn the thoughts of God, the ways of God. That's how we acquire epigenosis, experiential knowledge. We get the information for the purpose of application. And when I'm applying the word of God, the wisdom that we pray for, the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives all men liberally. So now I'm able to have the mind of God to make decisions in my daily life that allow me to make a distinction between what pleases God and what doesn't please God. Now, how can you do that? How can you add knowledge? Well, I have devotions every day and I, I, I'm, I'm memorizing scriptures. Here's how you add knowledge. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to read the word of God every single day. Before you read the paper, before you look at your emails, before you read your text messages, before you read your look at your Instagram and your Twitter fo uh, uh, followers, you, before you look at Good Morning America, open up the word of God and allow the word of God to change the way you think in such a way that you are renewed in your thoughts. And as you're doing that, when you encounter various situations during the day, you'll find yourself making decisions that are informed by God. 
Uh, so add, add, you also want to add temperance. Temperance means self-mastery, that self-control over your fleshly desire. And that simply means the ability to say no to your flesh on a regular basis. Uh, in in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 13, uh, Romans 14, verse 13 says, make no provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. Make no provision. That's a decision you make. If I struggle with alcohol, I'm not bringing alcohol home. If I struggle with pornography, I'm not going to access pornography on my phone, on my computer. I'm not, I'm going to make a conscious decision. It's the mastery over your flesh. So how do you grow in that area? You need to, you need, when you are tempted, when the spirit of the enemy is luring you away, you need to have a proactive plan, something already in place. So when the, when the part for wives of this world is pulling at your garment, you need to already predetermine in your mind that you're fleeing. You're going to already predetermine in your mind, if part of our wife is after me, I'm not going to put myself in a position where she can have me. If I struggle with a particular sin, I'm going to make up my mind that I'm going to do everything that I can to make myself accountable to others who can help me to grow in that area. And so, so he said, add to your faith, temperance, self-control, mastering of your flesh, the, the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit to, to cast out demons, to believe God for healing and, and, and the authority that he promised that we would have. He said, greater works than these. That comes from when we practice self-control, temperance, temperance, when we can push that plate away. That's what I'm struggling with right now. Pies and cakes and having access to three and four course meals. That's self-mastery. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. I'm not the only one wrestling with this right now. When the gym opens, no, but no, I can't, I can't make the excuse of when the gym opens. I got to start working on controlling my flesh in the area of how I eat and what I read and how I think. By saying, no, I'm not going to give place to the enemy by allowing him to occupy my thoughts. By allowing him to occupy the, con the conversations that you shouldn't have. People that you don't need to talk to. Numbers that you need to get rid of. Phone calls that you don't need to answer. Places you need to keep your backside away from. That's self-mastery. That's what we need to add to our faith. And guess how often you'll need to do that? Every single day of your life. Paul says, until we reach the full measure and stature. Until we come to full maturity in Christ. Guess how long that takes until we get to heaven? So add temperance, self-control. He says, add perseverance, that word hupomeneo means to the ability to endure, the ability to endure, to remain under, remain under. That means when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You're not going to quit every time somebody looks at you sideways. You're not going to quit every time you have an argument. Uh, you're not going to be threatening divorce every time you have a disagreement. You're not going to quit jobs because uh, you didn't get selected for a special project. And so this idea of perseverance is that you learn how to serve the Lord by faith in the midst of testing, in the midst of pressure, in the midst of difficulty. You are going to continue. To do that. And that's every single day. You're tempted every single day. Your thoughts want to be uh, uh, dominated by by worldly uh, uh, considerations. And Paul says, I will not allow my mind to I'm going to bring under captivity every thought. And so perseverance means that I'm going to develop a stick to it spirit. The Bible says, speaking of uh, endurance and perseverance, that a righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. You're not going to give up on yourself. You're not giving up on your marriage. You're not giving up on relationships. You're not going to give up on things that God didn't give you direction to walk away from. The righteous man falls, but he gets up seven times. So I'm not going to, I may fall, but I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to get up and I'm going to start all over again. How often should you start again? Every time you fall, get up. Every time you, you, you fail to do what you promised the Lord, get up and start again. Because the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just.
to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're almost done. We also want to add to our faith godliness. This is a deep closeness with God. Your worship should be getting richer. Your reverence for God. Your time in prayer. Your prayer life should be growing. Not all necessarily in the quantity of time, but the quality of your prayer life. You should be able to pray back to God his word. You should be able to sense as you're praying a connection of communication with God because prayer is talking to God, but it also, is, it re, the reciprocal part of it is hearing from God. The, when you have the type of the godliness, the word, another translation is, is piety, a reverence for God, a holiness. This is not a condescending spirit where you're looking down on others, but it's the spirit that, that it, you're so intimate with God like Moses. The Bible says whenever he would enter into the presence of God, that God would literally, his appearance would be transformed. Moses had that special relationship with God. That's the kind of desire each of us should de want. To have with God that is so that we're so close to Him that we hear His whispers, that God will say things to us that He doesn't say to other people. That when the promise with Paul says, "Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what God will reveal to those who love Him." That's what He's talking about here. Add to your faith, godliness, piety, reverence. Every day you should be growing in your love for the Lord with all of your strength, with all your might. With all of your mind, that should be a commitment. Do you love the Lord more today than you did yesterday? Is he sweeter to you today than he was yesterday? Is the fire still burning brightly for your passion for the Lord? Are you pa panting after him as a deer pants after water? Let me, let me conclude with this one. Add to your, your, your perseverance and godliness and add to your, um, your knowledge and temperance. And, and virtue add brotherly love. And that's just intentionally expressing acts of kindness towards other believers. What an opportune time during this pandemic to express. And this is specifically, I believe, the word uh, for Philadelphia here, brotherly love, is talking about acts of kindness towards other Christians that they don't anticipate and they cannot reciprocate. It also has the idea, it can be translated, uh, warm friendliness. Uh, I thought about, I was sharing with the elders, how I don't have a lot of friends, very few friends. And uh, I don't want to say that's because I'm not friendly, that I think I am. But we need to, especially brothers, we don't want to go to our graves as mystery men. There ought to be men in your life, brothers in your life that you can be transparent with. During this time, uh, 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 as we are growing spiritually, who are you as a man or a woman investing your life in to develop a friendship where you have a David and Jonathan type of, type of relationship? And so what this means is that you need to intentionally take your personal relationships to another level, another level in Christ. Not just brothers who keep secrets about dirt, but brothers who are sharing secrets that are things that you're working on so that you can become more uh, intimate in your walk with the Lord. Here's the final thing. Add love. Add love. This is the first Corinthians 13, 1 through 8 kind of love. It's unconditional. And this is a, an act of love, of unconditional sacrificial action towards people that are not a part of the body of Christ, but obviously it includes people that are saved as well. So add to your faith love. And that love is not just between, it's not just a vertical love, it's a horizontal love. The way I know I love God is by how I demonstrate my love for those who God created. Are you forgiving? Are you kind? Do you hope for the best for people? Do you celebrate when people get what's coming to them? And just go right through the list of things that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Are you purposely working on growing deeper in expressions of love towards others that have no strings attached? If you add those seven things, verse 8 
uh, uh, and through 11 says that God, that you, he, you will not be unproductive, you will be profitable. What God promises, if you grow spiritually, if you intentionally work on these areas in your life, those seven things that I've just gone through, he says, you will not be ineffective or unproductive in your knowledge of Christ. That means that you will produce fruit that, that lasts. God says, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bless you. You will experience the abundant life if you're growing spiritually. God promises that you'll be productive. Whatever you put your hands on, it will be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. It will prosper. Spiritual growth brings about divine prosperity in the spirit realm. I didn't say you're going to have a bank account uh, that 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 is in the millions. What I'm saying is you will be prosperous. He also says that, uh, but whoever does not have these things, these qualities that I've just mentioned, you're nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sin. So what he's saying is when the opposite of those who are growing spiritually is blindness, lack of discernment, making horrible decisions, not growing, not prospering. So he says what happens is when I'm growing spiritually, I will have a perspective that is not simply temporal, but I'll have God's point of view. You'll look at circumstances in life from the perspective of God. You will not be nearsighted. You will not be blind. You will see things the way God does. You'll have a heavenly perspective. And finally, you'll have peace. He says, for if you do these things, you will not stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when, here he says, he talks about how judgment starts at the household of God and that when we're growing, the, the absence of spiritual growth is an evidence that you don't know Jesus. It may mean that you don't know the Lord. And so he says, when you're growing in these seven areas that I mentioned, you have the peace that gives you confidence that you're saved. And when you do go to be with the Lord, you will be rewarded for your obedience. And so you'll have peace. You'll have a perspective that is heavenly and you'll be productive in everything that you put your hands on. It's not a feeling. It's not an experience in terms of some ex, some some emotional, uh, uh, extraterrestrial, uh, uh, religious uh, experience. You know, this is an act of obedience by making a decision. I'm going to add these. I'm going to continue to add to my faith these seven things. Now, as I close, most of you know I'm from Philadelphia, the hood, North Philadelphia. And I love playing basketball. I didn't say I was that good at it, but I enjoyed playing basketball. And uh, and most of my friends didn't. So we would gather in the schoolyard right around the corner from where I lived. Sometimes it would be about 30 guys in the schoolyard, but there's a problem. Only one person normally had a ball. And the guy that normally would have the ball, his name was Harry. And Harry thought he was uh, an NBA prospect. The boy couldn't play. But he had a new ball, and his rule was he had to be in every game. No matter how many times his team lost, he had to be in the game. And whenever you passed the ball to Harry, you weren't seeing it. He was shooting. He'd be half court shooting it. Behind the court, he'd be shooting the ball. And so if he got upset because you called a foul on him or if he got fouled, Harry would take his basketball with 30 dudes, 30 guys looking at him. And he'd walk off the court and out the schoolyard and he got 30 guys <laughs> looking at each other. And some of the guys would be begging him, please, come on, Harry, you can, you can give us another chance, etc. And sometimes he'd walk back like he's going to give us another chance and then he'd walk away, and just really torturing us. And Harry, if you're listening to me right now, I still don't forgive you for that, bro. But I want you to know that there's some Harrys in the church. Uh, there's some people in the church. Can you imagine the selfishness and the immaturity that it took for him to walk out of that schoolyard and refusing to share with 30 guys that just wanted to play? 
I want you to know that when you're spiritually immature, you're like Harry. You can be married in a Harry. Selfish, immature, living in your feelings. Every time somebody looks at you funny, you don't get your way. You just pick up your ball and you leave. Oh, you haven't left the house. You just left the spiritual realm. Now you're operating in the flesh. You're operating carnally. You may be a member of the church, a leader in the church, but because you haven't developed in these seven areas, you have not added to your faith. Every time somebody doesn't give you accolades or include you, you just decide that obviously they're against me and then you have to strategize about ways that you're going to get even. You take your ball and you leave. I want you to understand that that's, you destroy churches that way. You, you destroy marriages that way. You destroy your children that way. I want you to know that there are a lot of adults who are married with children who have never grown up. And the consequence of your lack of maturity is generational. We need to grow up. We need to have the mind of God. God promises that he'll prosper us, that we'll have peace and confidence about our relationship with him. But if you harry, if you're walking in carnality, if you're not making up your mind that you're going to obey what the word of God says about growth, you will continue to be focused on the temporal rather than the eternal. You will have no real value as the salt of the earth, the, the light of the world. We will be in, 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 unimpactful as long as you walk around in your diapers, you in your playpen, you you just breaking up everything. you just 50-year-old person in a playpen controlling everything out of a spirit of immaturity. You, you need to grow up. And as we grow up, the power of God will be released in your home. The power of God will be released to you at work. You will find yourself being able to deal with things that you never thought you could handle. You will be able to speak words of life when you get out of the way because now you're no longer operating out of carnality, out of worldliness, out of immaturity, but you're operating out of a mind that is informed through the word of God that allows you to be like Christ in whatever situation you're in. Brothers and sisters, let's grow up. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The first thing that I said as I was sharing about why we can grow up is Peter says that you have experienced a like kind of faith. In order for you to grow up spiritually, you need to be born spiritually. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You need to be born a second time. The reason we need to be born a second time is because the first time we were born, we were born with a sin nature. And sin separates us from God. And I want you to understand and, 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 as, uh, that until sin is dealt with, it is impossible to do anything that pleases God. And so the first thing that should happen, if we're honest, is that we, we need to admit that we are sinners and that our sin separates us from God. And God has provided us a remedy for our sin Christ came and he died and he died on the cross to pay the price for all of our sins past present and future but if all Christ had done is pay the price by dying we would still be in our sins but the resurrection proves that God was pleased that Christ's life of sinless obedience to him was Sack was, was satisfactory, was appe appeased him because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And now that Christ is alive, he says, all power and authority is in my hand. And one of the things that Christ has the authority to do is to forgive you of all of your sins. So if you're listening to me, wherever you may be, would you pray this prayer after me if you want to turn your life over to the Lord and, and receive the forgiveness that comes through Christ because of what he did on the cross. Just repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I believe that Christ came into the world 
He lived a sinless, perfect life. He offered his body on the cross as a payment for my sins. And he got up on the third day as a proof that you were satisfied with the payment that Christ paid for the debt of my sins. Father, forgive me of my sins because of what Jesus accomplished on my behalf on the cross. I believe that he died, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life and forgiving me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. If you prayed that prayer sincerely, I want you to know that the Lord heard you and that your name is now not only written in the book of life that God had already pre-written, now you can be absolutely certain because the Holy Spirit will confirm it in your heart. You need to uh, call and share with, with someone from the church and we will uh, put uh, somebody in contact with you to assist you with your uh, growth in Christ so that you can, that you can actually grow in, in Christ. Uh, finally, as we close, um, we are grateful for the, those who have graduated. And I can't emphasize more um, sincerely or seriously how important it is for us to grow up spiritually. Now I will uh, give the benediction. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you for his, before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and forevermore. Amen.